Welcome to the No Referees Podcast, where we have unpenalized conversations with sports personalities on industry news, their grind, the game, and much more. Please check us out on our social media pages at No Referees Pod for up-to-date info on the show. No rules, no texts, no whistles. This is No Referees Podcast. Welcome back to the No Referees Podcast. I'm your host, Everest Akajobi. I got my roll dog back with me. Special Jennings, what up? What's going on, E? Well, a long time no see. You know how I get. Season, on the road, recruiting. It just got a little hectic. Yeah, I'm glad you're back in the studio. We got a special one today, fans, friend, family, friends. Nate Smith, Basketball Hall of Fame inductee, NCAA champion, Olympian, top 15 players of all time. You can find her on IG at teaspoon underscore 11 and on Twitter at finisher underscore 11. The pride of Pineland, Texas, Miss <laughs> Teresa Weatherspoon. Good morning, ma'am. Good morning. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate this. Thank you for joining us. This is an honor. Right. Privilege to have a legend. Well, thank you. Yeah, uh-huh. a living legend. Man, <laughs> man, you know, first of all, let me let you guys know this. I'm pretty shy, okay? Nobody would ever think that, but I'm pretty shy. And, you know, to run those things down kind of makes me nervous. It'll make me start sweating immediately. So I'm a little shy. So I, want, I want you guys to know I'm a little shy. All this stuff is just a tremendous blessing. That's the way I see it. It's just a tremendous blessing. I was just a, a kid just trying to live out a dream. We're gonna get to all the accolades. We're gonna get to every, everything. We're gonna get to we're gonna get to all that, coach. So if you're gonna gotcha. be sweating, you might want to get you some water, some G two, <laughs> some propel, or something because we're gonna get into it. I got the water. Trust me, it's already by me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so growing up in Pineland, Texas, you know, I'm a Texan. Yeah. I'm a native of Arlington, Texas, and I ain't gonna lie, coach. I had to look at Google Maps. I didn't know where the heck Pineland, <laughs> Texas was at. And I thought I heard of everything. Talk to the people out there about Pineland, Texas, and you know what it was like to grow up there. Come on, man. Don't talk about my little place. It, it's, it, it, it speaks for itself. Pineland. Nothing but pine trees. It's about... Growing up, it was probably like a thousand people there, maybe 800 and so many people there now. A little small place, a place where it was great to just raise your kids and be a part of um, just the whole village. It was like a family. Um, Tremendous place to grow up. I I love going home. I still go home and enjoy home uh, because it's it's the one thing I think that's so valuable, so important is being able to take advantage of, of Anything that happens in life, no matter where you grow up, no matter how small things are, you still have to find your purpose. And I think being in that small place, my mom and dad taught us how to find our purpose. Now, I ain't going to lie, Coach. When you say that small place, finding your purpose, now how you find your way to the Walmart? <laughs> and, you know, the, uh, the, I know there got to be uh, 11 street signs, uh, oh, ele- uh, 11 uh, bus stops. You know, how do you find your way? In and out of just the area, I know it's not that far from Jasper, Longview, you know, a couple other mid-sized towns in Texas. You know, how do you navigate, you know, around growing up? Well, see, now, now the little place where I'm from, we're pretty well known for a place called um, Sabine Reservoir. And it's um, where the pro anglers actually come and fish. So it's a really small place, but still you have the pro anglers that would come out and, and fish in the area. Uh, very, very small. But to get to Walmart, well, first of all, we don't have 11 stop signs. We have 
three major stop signs. <laughs> <laughs> three major stop signs. And to get to a place to shop, man, everything had to be a travel. You had to travel. And the good thing was, too, is even growing up, you know, I grew up in humble beginnings. And, you know, if we didn't have a way, the good thing was, like I said, it was a village. It's like a family. Somebody would take you to where you had to go. You know, that, that's, that was the beauty of growing up in such a small place. But everything we had to do, it, it was it was adventurous. It was adventurous. Trust me, truly adventurous. So I have a question, Coach. How, how did the yeah. adventure take you from Pineland to Louisiana? How did that happen? One word, and that's work. I, I just put in work. I was um, told as an eighth grader that I would never be great at playing this game of basketball. Uh, and the good thing was I had a... Um, very supportive family that pushed me to, to like I said earlier about my purpose, to really define it and, and be a part of it, allow that, that purpose to be awakened with your commitment. And just to get to Louisiana was crazy because I, I happened to have had a great high school coach uh, who played at the University of Texas, and she did a great job of creating the exposure and I was seen by playing these other teams from bigger places like in the Houston area, the Baytown, Texas areas, into Austin area. So I happened to have been seen and uh, actually thought I was going to go to the University of Texas. And I, I kind of flipped the script and went to Louisiana Tech. And I was seen just because of the exposure of a coach who uh, understood her purpose as a coach. And that was to make sure that we lived out our dreams and, and got to be the best versions of ourselves. And that's how it led me into Ruston, Louisiana. And from there, it, it just it, it just exploded for me. So getting you there, what made you pick Louisiana Tech, though? Because like yeah. you said, you, UT and other places, like what, what made Louisiana yeah. Tech special for you? Yeah, well, you know, that was the one team that I got to see a little bit on TV. The Lady Textures, they were huge, um, big-time program at the time, as well as University of Texas. The Lady Longhorns were just as big. But after viewing both campuses and being from such a small place, I was like, ah, I think Louisiana Tech might be the place for me where I, I can navigate my way. And I went to my visit with my mom and my dad and Upon that visit and seeing what that program was like, I thought that was my best fit. And every other visit that I had lined up, I, I canceled immediately because I didn't I didn't believe in uh, going places knowing that this is not where I wanted to be. And I didn't want to waste anyone's time. I knew I wanted to be at Louisiana Tech just from that one visit. I wanted to be a part of that, and I thought that was the best fit for me. And, and to this day, I think that was one of the best decisions I made as, as a young kid. Well, you're dropping them gems. I hope these younger uh... – these younger uh, recruits are are hearing you, you know, wasting time. <laughs> well, what you need, what, what you need you know, to do you know, to help right? you on that? When you know, you know, you know, like it, it's no, it's no fishing expedition. Just you, you knew. Exactly. You know, you know that you put time in that. You put time Absolutely. in recruiting and, and, and all the study that you do on these kids and, and actually the catering of these kids catering to their needs, you put a lot of time into that. And I never wanted to waste anyone's time because that's hard work. That's hard work and effort that you guys put in and the calls that you're getting and you know you don't want to go there. Don't put anyone through that. So, Coach, you get to Ruston, Louisiana. Now, again, if I didn't know you and know uh, my, my best friend Mike through you, I wouldn't know yeah. where the heck the rest in Louisiana was at. Dang, so, man, I'm you, going everywhere that you don't know about. <laughs> <laughs> so you get to Rustin, you yeah. immediately, you're starting as a freshman. You're playing yeah. 
30 plus games. What was that feeling like coming in, being the leader on the floor, being the the, the extension of the head coach, you know, early yeah. on, you know, as soon as you walk on campus? Yeah, well, man, that that was um that was a tough moment for me as a freshman. I'm I'm being totally honest. I'll be I'll be so transparent with you guys. I wanted to quit. I was ready to go home. I'm I'm a mama's baby. I was ready to go home. I had I've never been away from home and doing things on my own. And I get there and I'm like, oh man, this dude's crazy. This dude doing all the screaming and hollering. And it, it doesn't take all that to get to me and make me want to play. I'm ready to play, period. But I was like, nah, nah, that could have been my fault. She missed the ball. There's no way that could be my fault. So I was really learning what playmakers' responsibilities were all about. And when I got there, of course, there was a, a young lady that was before me and that was her position, so to speak. But I was there to snatch up spots. I wanted to play. I wanted to play. Hey. <laughs> and that was a, a one moment in practice. Coach said in practice, he said, if you want to play on this team, you're going to defend. You're going to defend somebody. Other than that, you're going to play on this team. I immediately changed my approach. I immediately changed my approach that moment. I went straight after the senior who was a bucket getter. I mean, mm-hmm. bucket getter. Like I said, now nah, I, I, I got to defend this one because uh-huh. if I defend this one, he's going to see that I want to freaking play. I went straight after and I had the defender from one end to the other without her getting to that bucket. I was like, you're not getting to this bucket because I want to play. And that's when the turn came for me as a player of understanding the, the true meaning of what it is to really give everything you got in this game and the sacrifice for the good of your team. Because every one of us who left and went to Louisiana Tech, heck, we could all score the ball. All of us score the ball. But who wanted to be different? Who wanted to really sacrifice for the good of the team and accept the importance of your role? Well, I did. At that moment, I was like, now nah, I want to be the best playmaker ever. I want to make everybody be the best versions of themselves. And I'm going to be one of the greatest defenders to play this game because this man just said, this is how I'm going to play. Snatched that spot up and I was playing from that point on. Because of that word that day that came to me. And I, I knew that this man was going to be one that pushed my buttons. Because you can't push buttons if the buttons aren't there. <laughs> That's true. And he was he pushing pushed- buttons. Push the right ones. And speaking of that, that mentality of you want to play, you want to be the best. Let's 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 yeah. switch gears here. Let's talk about yeah. getting to the final four and and national championship and and obviously with a mindset that you had of of, of taking spots as a freshman. Talk about those moments. Like what was it like? Get, a getting to the final four and and then getting to the national championship. Man, don't take that thing for granted. That's that's hard. That is so tough. Every single day of getting everybody on the same page, one common goal. That was tremendously tough, and I, that's when I started to understand about leadership as well and, and how your approach every day matters, uh, what, what, what every day means to you when you step in the classroom uh, onto that floor every day to represent that, that, that university that you're playing for and that one common goal that you're trying to reach. It was hard as heck to even get there, and I know in 87, I'm, I'm kind of aging myself right now, but in 87, we were chosen to win it all. We were chosen to win it all. We were, we were called the bells of the balls, and they were doing all these great things with us. And, heck, we got our butts smacked by Tennessee in the championship game in 87. And we were playing at the University of Texas, and we had just played the University of Texas in the uh, – oh, my God, it was a knockdown, drag-out competition that day. And then we had to play Tennessee. Oh, my God, they, they drummed us. They drummed us. They killed us. And they won it all, and we were picked to win it all. So now you're thinking, oh, my God, how do you get back here? All the hard work of getting back here. So you can't take every step that you take for granted because you never know if you ever get back there or if the team will still be the same because people graduate and move on. 
man, we had to work our butts off to get there again. And in 88, we got our butts to the final again. And we're playing Auburn. And that dang Ruthie Bolton, who was a great friend of mine, she killed us in the first half. And we're down again. We're down. We're down again, 14 at half. I'm like, oh, my God, we're not going to win this thing. And this is my last year. Coach Baltimore comes in at halftime. And he goes right after me, right after me. And it kind of sends me all the way back to my freshman year. And he said to me, he said, how did you say that you defend? You know, how you go in your little brochure and they ask you these questions. And I said, aggressively was my answer. I'm, I'm an aggressive, assertive basketball player. He said, are you doing those things now? I mean, came at me. He's like, oh, snap, this is good. I like this. Okay, you challenged me. He came at your neck, huh? He came at my neck with his foot on it. I said, oh, okay, you challenged me. And I told my teammates before we walked out, there, I said, Ruthie would not score this half. I guarantee you. We will come back and win. And we came back and won by two. Ruthie didn't score that half. Wow. She didn't score that. It's a challenge. Everything that, that's thrown at you sometimes, you can't take personal. You got to see that thing as a challenge. And, and how do you meet the challenge? Say that it's one more time, Coach. Hold, hold on, hold on. Look, 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 look. They got to listen. listen. They, 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 yeah, they just dropping them. They got to hear this. Say, say it one more time for us. I, I'm telling you, everything that's thrown at you, you cannot take it personal. It's a challenge. Amen. It's whether you meet it or you don't. And, and, and that shows great character, too. Shows great character. Do you want that? Do you want to be challenged? And the majority of the time, and the majority of the time I'll, I'll say this, and I've learned this along the way, you might hear that people say, oh, that person or that person or that player or whomever, they're so unhappy. That's so not true. A lot of times it's, they're not challenged to be the best versions of themselves. And when you are challenged, it's up to you now to meet the challenge. No matter how it comes to you, because sometimes you're like, yeah, but your tone was like this. and your No, it doesn't matter. Meet the challenge. Meet the go. challenge. They would not give you that challenge if you were not capable of it. Now it's time for you to meet the challenge. Again, you're dropping so many gems. And, and as a coach, these are things that we try to stress um, yeah. with, with yeah. all players. So from your freshman year and, and, and growing and, and um, becoming this, this, this household name, when did you know like, you could play professionally? Like, when, when, did that, when did it click for you? You know, and this is the honest truth, I was really just playing the game with a great deal of confidence, knowing that every day that I was going to make sure that I was the best version of myself, and I felt like whatever it was that I desired to do, that I could do it, that I could become it. It was a mentality. It was a mindset. Um, I never said, I could be a professional. I just knew that whatever it was I wanted to do, I could do it. It, it, it's a total mindset that I believe that you have to have. Um, even if I played against a guy and they thought that this guy was absolutely an amazing athlete, but if we played against each other, heck, I thought I was going to win. I thought I was going to win because I didn't see, I never saw male, female. I never saw that. Of course, here I know I'm female. I know he's male, but that's not what I saw when we approached each other on the floor. I saw an athlete. And then I was like, okay, may the best athlete win right now, bro. Here we go. Here we go. And it's, it's the approach, it's the mindset, it's the mentality of what is it that you want out of this thing. And whatever is set before you, you got to go at it, but it's just a whole lot of work that's involved. There's really, there's no time off. If it's something that you want, what, why, are you, why are you taking time off if there's something that you want? Because you best believe somebody else is working. So I can't, I can't take time off. As a matter of fact, heck, at my age right now, I was just finishing up a workout when you guys called me now because I'm like, there's no time off. Even in this coronavirus situation, no time off. Hey, get that good uh, in-home Tabata workout, bodyweight workout. <laughs> you go, hey, get it in, coach. That's <laughs> I know, it. I, I saw your videos uh, a couple months ago. You were uh, doing some uh, workouts with the young lady from the Liberty, and you still got it. 
Now I try, man. I try. I just, I don't, you know, I, I could care less about anything about me anymore. It's all about seeing these young people um, do live out their dream, I guess, so to speak, and, and be good at it. Be really, really good at what you do. Matter of fact, I take that back. Be great at it, you know, because good at a lot of people travel that path. And greatness, there's a cost. And I always tell these kids, I say, heck, when you want to go buy those Jordan sneakers that you guys wear all the time, all these beautiful sneakers that you guys wear, you don't count the cost, you go buy it, right? I said, so why are you counting the cost of being great? Don't count the cost. Go get it done, no matter what it is. Go get it done. Don't count the cost. Go get it done. Told you a habitual gym dropper up in here. <laughs> yeah, the guy be all fired up, and you know that's easy to do. <laughs> so, Coach, when you decided to play professional, at that time, there was, yeah. you know, there wasn't the WNBA yet. We'll get to that in a minute. You know, we'll get yeah. to the – so what was the opportunities you were finding out, finding out about playing professionally overseas, what country was the best place to play in, et cetera, et cetera. How'd that go about for you? Oh, man. Uh, I happened to, um, I've just been speaking with uh, my college coach and he was asking me, what did I want to do? And I wanted to continue to play. And of course, at the time, um, there was an agent by the name of Bruce Levy and he uh, kind of picked us all up to get us overseas. And I happened to have played in Italy my first year uh, playing overseas. And uh, it was something that I wanted to do, but the ultimate, the ultimate at the time was to be an Olympian because we didn't have a professional uh, setting. So the the ultimate was to be an Olympian and then to have the opportunity to play overseas to continue, you know, playing the game that you love. Uh, and playing in Italy was absolutely amazing for me uh, to keep me in shape for what was about to come. And the Olympics was the ultimate thing of me working in, in college. And in 88, I happened to have graduated in 88, and then there's the Olympic time. But the ultimate was to be an Olympian uh, for me at the time. So speaking of Olympics, I actually that's the next thing I got on my notes is the Olympic Games. You actually played in '88 and you played in '92 with the Dream yeah. Team with yeah. your big brother La Tech uh, yeah. alum Carl Malone yeah. in Barcelona. What was that time like being around the Dream Team and your brother Carl Malone, Jordan, Magic, all these guys? What was that that Olympics like for you? It was simply amazing because that was the first time that team had ever been assembled. And we actually thought, heck, we were a dream team, too. So we were like, shoot, we're a dream team, too. Right. So we, 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 you know, we were like, shoot, this is a great – we thought that we were the best ever assembled USA basketball team at the time. And then, then we, we didn't win it either. We didn't win. If people can remember, we didn't win. Uh, we won the bronze medal, and heck, I'm like, you know, I'm still, I'm still ticked off about that. And they're like, but you gotta understand, that's an, that, that's an amazing accomplishment. Is to just to, to medal. No, we didn't get in to go get the bronze medal. We went to go get gold. But that is the approach that we had as the athletes who wanted to always win. I got, I gotta win, and we gotta win it in the right way. Especially playing for your country, you want to stand at the top of that podium to receive your medal with your national anthem playing. But to be a part of the 92 Olympics men's basketball team, it, they, they were crazy athletic. It was, it, you knew what, they didn't even have to practice. They, know, they don't need practice. They were so freaking good. Man, when I tell you, they were amazing. And they were so good and so supportive of us as well. And, uh, it was just great to be around them. Uh, it was like a rock concert every time that they moved. People were all over the place. It was very difficult for them to even get around or to be a part of 
the beauty of the Olympics and that's the Olympic village and, you know, sharing of pins and hats and shirts and shorts and whatever you want to exchange. It was hard for them to be a part of that because, you know, they were so sought after, basically, with people around them just crumbling to their knees and get just an, an, an eye on the guys, you know. But they were great for us as far as being so supportive. And we got to watch them and they watched us as well. That's great. So, Coach, I'm going to ask, what, what yeah. so, you know, those guys, the dream team, the, the, the NBA was already there. Um, can you talk a little bit about the emotion behind finding out that, um, you know, the, the WNBA was going to be started and, and you were going to actually have a chance to play in the U.S. in front of people, in front of fans, in front of some of your La Tech people? Um, what, what was that like yeah. for you? What was that moment like? Yeah, I can actually remember exactly where I was. I was, we were in France playing in the EuroLeague. Oh, nice. And uh, we were told we were, you know, take those by your phone, you're going to get some phone calls. And this, this, this. actually, um, the ABL had called as well, but I had chosen, I decided now I want to play in the WNBA because of the backing. I knew the NBA was going to be great for the WNBA. And I'm in France and I received my phone call. And uh, of course, at that time, you know, you were allocated to a team and, um, they called me and said, well, you will be playing in New York. I'm like, what? Because, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Texan. So I figured because they were trying to get people connected to places close to where they played or where they were from so they could get the fan base as, as good as possible. So I, I knew I was going to Houston. I said, yeah, I know that's probably where I'm going. I'm, Ooh, it's going to be close to my family. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, and he said, yes, uh, Teresa Weatherspoon, you have been allocated to the New York Liberty. I said, ah, what? What? <laughs> what? New York? And I said, uh-oh. Yeah, I'm going to like this. I mean, it, it changed. I had so many different emotions. Like, what? why? Why not? And I said, oh, no, New York? Yeah, I'm going to love the grind of New York City. And that was, I was, I mean, look, I'm, this is honest truth. I was ready to take a pen, swim the ocean and hold that pen straight up. Here I come. I'm, I'm signing. I'm ready to sign. I'm swimming all the way across this ocean to sign this contract so we can get ready to play now. It was the most exciting moment for us to know that we're coming home. We're going to be able to play at home. And for me, once I played in the WNBA, I never had a chance to go back overseas. I didn't get a chance to go back over, which was a great thing because uh, the Liberty wanted to keep me in New York to make sure we kept our names out there as far as the league being it continuing to grow at our first year. Because, of course, projection was uh, they won't get more than 5,000 people a summer. Uh, so that league is going to probably fail in the next three years. And that, once again, there it goes, that challenge. And all of us were ready to come home to play in America to get this thing off the ground and for it never to be removed. So so hearing about the league and, and how people thought it was going to fail and the different things like that, and it's actually been up and running, and to hear all the, the, the new benefits um, for the WNBA, thoughts on that? I mean, I, obviously, well, as man. women, we are, we're advocates for, for, for the WNBA, but, like, what are your thoughts um, when, you know, from the time and when you played and, and just hearing all the new, the new things for women? Yeah, yeah you, you know, when, you be, when you're considered pioneers, you know, certain things you have to go through in order for it to get to this point of what our young ladies have done with the new CBA. Uh, this new CBA is from we knew once we left that the talent level, the skill level, and the evolving of this game was, was just in great hands. The game has tremendously evolved, evolved to an amazing game to watch. The young ladies are amazing to watch. And what they've done by sitting at a table and stressing what is necessary, and they stood on what is necessary in order for this league to survive, 
and to continue to be successful and for each one of us as women to benefit from in the proper way, they went and they did their thing. Steps is what's necessary. And we made those steps. We made those steps knowing that we have ground to cover. It's going to be continue to be ground to cover, but we know that we can cover those grounds. And they've done a tremendous job of stepping in and gathering all the proper information to kind of cover what they know is necessary for this league to survive with that new CBA. Coach, I want to just touch on something real quick personally for you being from yeah. Texas. You know, I'm from Texas. Uh-huh. I've traveled all over the world as a strength and conditioning coach. You travel all over the world um, yeah. prior to coming to the WNBA. I got a chance to go to grad school at St. John's in New York City. So coming from Texas to New York, it was a complete yeah. culture shock for me. But yeah. you came from to New York from Spain, from Italy, from Russia. What was yeah. that culture shock like for you coming from those places and knowing where you came from? I was ready. I think all those things that I had to go through had prepared me for that moment. I was ready for the grind of New York City. I studied the city before I got there. I wanted to know what the city was about. Uh, I wanted to know why we had the colors that we had because our colors kind of coordinated with the city. Uh, I wanted to understand the city because I wanted the city to be a part of what we do. And you can't ask someone to be a part of what you do if you're not a part of what they do. And genuinely doing it, the, the, the operative word is to be genuine, genuinely being a part of what other people do, and then they'll genuinely be a part of what you do. Uh, and to be a part of New York City was absolutely amazing. Um, it's crazy that a little country girl like myself of 882 people can stand in the middle of New York City and see 882 people on a corner uh, and then be a part of that city the way that it has happened for me is tremendous for my life because um, the acceptance of being first a female athlete um, in New York City. And the one thing about that place is they love the game of basketball and all they want is your energy and your effort. That's all they ask for is your energy and your effort. Uh, And once again, a challenge, a city of challenges. And we wanted to be the best program ever to walk into Madison Square Garden, which is a great place to play the game, an amazing place to play the game. I had some of my best moments just performing in Madison Square Garden and seeing the people that we've had an opportunity to be a part of. uh, All the girls I had a chance to play with, um, it was Sisters for Life. It's it's, it's a true sisterhood. Um, It was just tremendous for me to be able to play in New York City. And uh, I still live there. Um, It's home. That's home away from home. Speaking of the garden coach, I know back in the day, you and uh, Rebecca Lobo, y'all were the face of the franchise. Y'all was on all the billboards in Times Square. Y'all was on the marquee at the Garden. I mean, We Got Next was everywhere back in the day. You know, the Garden was just like the place to be. If you if you a hooper, you want to hoop in the Mecca. And yeah. I just want to ask you, you know, coming up in the days in the Garden, you see all the celebrities there. You, you get uh, the Liberty was really close with all the Knicks players. Uh, I've, I've watched some of your interviews where, you know, you're very close with uh, Charles Oakley and uh, those yeah, guys. Yeah. And what do you think about this kind of the stuff that's been going on recently with the Garden and you know with Spike Lee and Oakley yeah. and all that kind of stuff? How does that make you feel? It's like that's that's your people and that's your home. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough to see uh, because. When we when we step into the garden of Spike Lee is gonna I mean he's he's one who's always there supporting no matter what your season looked like no matter he, he's gonna support New York City he loves New York and he, he proves that every single year 
he's always there. And to see the, the, the way things happen, it, it's hard to see because with, especially Oak, I'm very close with Oak, very close with all the New York Knicks guys. We were, we were brother sisters. It's kind of crazy to say, but we were really brother sisters. And it's hard to see because, you know, we, we gave everything we had in that place. You, you blood, sweat, tears, you left out there. And for him to come back and be a part of what the Knicks do, it just goes to show that he's, he's still loyal to the program. He's, he still loves the place. He still enjoys being a part of the atmosphere. Um, and then for all those things to happen, uh, the way that it, it does, it, it's difficult to see. But my thing is, where's the conversation? Where's the conversation? Conversation is so important. Where's the communication? Communication is so important, but you can't have communication if there's no conversation. Yo, you ain't living your life right. Pick up your device right now. Well, if you're driving, stay focused on the road. And hit that subscribe, follow, semicolon, period, whatever you got to ensure that every week, your eardrums is buzzing with our new episodes, all right? I'm subscribed. Yo, you subscribe? All right, we good. Let's get back to the show. Coach, you got a very good memory. Let me take you to 1999. Ooh. About 89, 99, I was 10. Let me, let me. <laughs> 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 I was, I was born, born in 89 99 I was 10 So let me Let me take you I was a junior High school Right then. Let me take you Back to 1999 Alright The WNBA finals no. Game 2 <laughs> Got Good memory WNBA finals Game 2 The shot Tell oh, us about man. it Give us Give us the, oh, give, us the give us the Give us the Give us the Emotion The The, the mindset The Give us Give us the The lead up To that shot I got down comments, I tell you, but it has <laughs> broken my heart a thousand times. <laughs> I tell you, I, it, it was an amazing game, up and down, up and down, up and down. And, you know, we're playing against a team that's just so good from every area of the court. You know, I got such respect for uh, every one of them. But, you know, it was always a knockdown drag out when we played each other. But this was tough. And the, the game was actually tied. And and um, Houston has the ball. and. Of course, they punch it in to Tina, Tina Thompson, and she just made a great move. Crystal Robson did a heck of a job of defending her. She made a heck of a move with her little her shimmy move and turned baseline and knocked it down. She knocked <laughs> it down, and that's, that's her move, and we, we got caught with it and kissed it off the glass, and boom, they go back. I mean, that confetti is coming down, and I'm the screaming rope, to The Kim. rope's coming up. <laughs> rope's coming out. The cam- you know how, the, you know how the, the camera people get underneath the basket because what they ready to run out there to start taking pictures? I was like, yeah, 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 this thing ain't over. So I was screaming <laughs> to Kim, 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 if you look at Kim Happen, she is just, she's so distraught. She's like, not again. And she's, I said, Kim, throw it, throw it. Nobody was around me. So I'm like, Kim, throw it, throw it. She finally threw it to me. And I turned and I saw Tina, but she was on the wrong side. She was on my left side. So she gave me a chance to heave it with my right hand. But I turned around and she was on my left. One, two, I let it go. I let it go. I knew I had enough on it. And when I let it go, I promise you, I promise you, I knew it was good. Everybody shoot was like, shoot. What, did, what did you think? What did you think? I said, I knew it was good. I could see it going to go. I didn't know if it was going to switch. I didn't know what the hell it was going to do. But it was <laughs> online. That thing was online. And boom, it goes in. I said, oh, my gosh. And 99 was probably one of the most difficult times of my life playing the game of basketball. Of course, you know, my, one of my best friends in Kim Parrott had passed on and 
Uh, we were really, really close, competed against each other in college. And, and then the way that she fought her way in to be a part of the Houston Commons, uh, the way that she became their, their leading point guard, and then we're competing against each other all the time. Uh, it was difficult for me then, but I also lost my nephew during that time. And I was not at my best. I didn't think, I didn't think that I was at my best. And that was like a highlight for me and my family as well, that people don't really recognize that that was like a highlight for me and my family when that shot went in, because it was like, for me, like good things still happen. Mm. Good things still happen. And when that went in, it was joy for our team. Uh, <laughs> teammates had fallen all on top of me. And I was saying, nobody ever asked me in that pile, was I okay? I was like, <laughs> I was telling the young, get up, get up. I think I'm going to play the next game because all of them were on top of me. Every one of them were on top of me and I'm at the bottom. But I, I believe I'll take it again. They can get on top of me again because we were truly excited to go to a third game. But as you know, there was no rest in between. We had to come right back and do it again. And it was it was too tough for us to play against such an amazing basketball team as the Comets and then playing on their home court. Um, I think we both were tired. Both teams were worn out, but they were they were tremendously good at what they do. And I'm just thankful that I get a chance to always look at them and say the shot and keep it moving. I get a chance <laughs> to throw it, throw it at them, but they'll throw the rings up at me, you know. <laughs> so you're right, but you know that they were they were a tough team to to play against, and always a joy to play against. The challenge was was always met, but that was a great moment for uh, the New York Liberty and the organization, especially for my teammates. It was always good to see them uh, with that smile on their face. So as a ball player, did you, did you know, like, um, when it was all said and done and, and it was time to hang it up, did you, did you know you wanted to coach? I mean, for me, I knew in college as a player that I didn't want to play another 10 years and all that. I, I had a chance to play professionally and everything like that, but I just knew, like, as a player that I was going to coach. Did you know? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did. Um, I think I knew uh, in my college days, um, I, because being the extension of your college coach um, and, and probably high school, because I was always in my coach's office and, you know, strategizing with her and uh, how can we beat this team and what offense can we run against their defense and uh, all kind of stuff. I was always asking and wanting to know and understand why we did certain things. Um, but I, I always wanted to knew once I was done that I wanted to give back to it. I wanted to give back what, another what I, gym. What I Just dropped I another gym, coach. <laughs> These kids think coming to the coach's office is, is like a punishment or going to the principal office. That's, that's nah, just an, another gym. It's, 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 I mean, I love going in there because it's important to even understand what your coach's thought process is because once you get on the floor, you have an, an understanding and an idea to really be on the same page with your coach because the extension is so valuable and so important for you to be the extension of the coach to take what the coach wants and, and, and kind of allow that to trickle down or, or electrocute right into your teammates. Um, it's important to understand that. I mean, you can't, you can't sit back and wait. You got to go get it. So I would always knock on that door and go in. Can I, can I come in and can I watch more film? You know, and it's, it's about studying the game. How can you, most people watch the game. They just watch it. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I said a difference in watching and dissecting, dissect that film. If you dissect the film, you can understand why that shot happened or, or what type of player movement, ball movement, and how valuable that is because you understand how to dissect film. You understand Absolutely. why that shot happened. 
You understand why you were so good defensively, why you guys covered your circumferences so well because of your defensive position. I don't care. I tell everybody, I don't care what a team runs. It doesn't matter what they run offensively. As long as we understand our defensive philosophies, we can defend anything. And when you get that kind of feedback from your coach, I remember hearing that from my coach. Why are you worried about what they run? Or we didn't see that play. They, they, you guys didn't go over that play with us. Why are you worried about that? Be able to defend the unknown. If you're able to defend the unknown, it's because you understand the defensive concepts that your coach has thrown at you the entire season. You know. So there's no reason why you should worry about the unknown. Let's play. You can throw at me 10 different offenses if you want to. I'm good because we know how to defend. We know. We know what our coach wants. That's all it is. That's all it is. I would ask, um, again, your opportunities have been – out the atmosphere. Um, you, oh, in a whole different solar yeah, system. Yeah, solar system. You've, you've <laughs> played at the highest level. You've, you've had opportunity yeah. to coach at your alma mater. You had an opportunity. Yeah. Now you, you, you're in, you know, you're affiliated with the NBA. What, what, what is that like, like for, for, for the, the younger coaches? Um, and, and I'll use women for an example. The, the, the women that, that are looking for different opportunities. Did you know yeah. um, you were going to coach an NBA? Was that your aspiration or you just, that was just a niche or, or, Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, um, I've always watched this game and, um, like, man, if I ever got an opportunity to get in, in the NBA, I'm in there. I'm in there. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm all about growing our game, the women's game, the WNBA. <clears throat> Without a doubt, you know, I, I, that opportunity presents itself as well. You know, I, I would take that opportunity. But being on this side, you know, the, the thing that's so important that people have to understand is paramount, actually, is when you get to this level, it's all about being competent. It's all about being competent. And um, when you come in, it's not all about t- throwing stuff at them, trying to show knowledge. It's not all about that. It's all about what you bring every single day. What do you bring in every single day? Because when you do speak and you do show and you do uh, put them through uh, exercises or, uh, or whatever it might be that's necessary in the day, they're going to see the knowledge. They're going to hear the knowledge. But it's about the energy that you bring every single day and you understand each one of those players and how to make them go. And I had the opportunity to come here and be a part of the Pelicans and be able to do that by studying each one of these guys, being able to understand what they do best and where they're going to go and what's necessary for them to get to the next level, the next level, next level, not being complacent, wanting to be better every single day, every single year, because everybody is going to be keying in on what you do. So what are you adding to your game? So those things have been valuable for me to be a part of and um, to be able to show at this level. Uh, for me, it's basketball. That's the way I see it. I walk into it. I see it as basketball. I even tell people, why is this news? Why is this news that uh, we as women, the 11 women are here in the, in the NBA? I get it that we're women and we're in the NBA, but God dang it, we know the game. We understand the game. Uh, I'm not here to be uh, news. I'm not here to be on TV I'm here to teach. I'm here to coach. I'm here to get things done. That's what I'm here for. And when exactly. that message, go right here. Go ahead. No, no. I was gonna say. I was just gonna say. I, I say the same thing. Like I look at it the same way as like being a, being an athlete. I'm yeah. a you know ball player first, and the same the way you That's you right. explained it that when you were playing against a man or whoever, they they, they, yeah. they were an athlete. And even in this, I feel like, and I'm so big on um, I don't know, just realistic and and thinking like, you know, women. It's not about you know, our our gender or whatever the case is. I think that we know the right. game just as well as men. And, and to, to say, like, you know, men can coach on the women's side, but, you know, it's harder for women yeah. to get on the – why? Because if you take yeah. some of the women's I'll, – I'll use my boss for an example. You take Tasha Pointer's resume and you take yeah. her name yeah. off the top of it and you put it next to a guy's, 
she, you know, it, yeah. it, it, it lines up and, and she may be better. And yeah. it's the same with like some of the women that's getting the opportunities. A lot of these women that, yeah. that are in coaching, you take their resume and you line it up with some of these men's and, and it, it, there's, there's no difference besides the name that comes with it. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. You're, you're, you're talking now. You're talking. You, you just preached the whole sermon. And that's, that's exactly absolutely. what it's about. Yeah, Look, that's I'm, exactly I'm, what it I'm, is. I'm all about opening doors, man. I, I love, that's I'm, it. I'm that young coach that's that's gonna push the buttons, and if you know you like it, yeah. you like it. You don't, you don't. But it's, I mean, that's that's just that's yeah. what's going yeah. on. And I think that's, yeah. I think people need to look more into that because, like I said, you know, Don Staley or you know Gino Orima, yeah. obviously yeah. everyone knows him, but like um, Muffet McGraw, like just you, you take away the name off the top of the paper and you side them up and and tell me what the difference is. That's right. That's right. You're, you're right. And, you know, and that's the thing. It's, I would tell any one of them, I'm not in here to compete against you. I don't have to. Right. Only one I compete against is me. That's it. I'm not competing against you. I'm going to bring my knowledge every single day. And a lot of times you have to, you know, there's things that you have to deal with, especially being a woman. And you know that. So a lot of things you have to deal with. Uh, there's, there's an X against us quickly. We're, we're black and we're female. Absolutely. We got two major marks against us right there. But the moment you allow your doors to open and you allow us to step into those doors and you hear us speak, there's no way possible anyone else could take our place. That's Absolutely. if you allow it to happen. And that's the problem, not allowing us to be a part of. But now that we're breaking down doors, my main objective is to knock down every door so every woman can step in if this is their dream because we deserve it. It is a deserving thing, not something that someone handed. Oh, we, we need to do this because we don't have uh, women. No, no, I would never take it if that's the case. I value my worth. I value my worth. So if you've just given me something, no, I've always earned something. If I've earned this, I'm taking this. So it's about earning the position. I feel like I earned everything that I've ever worked for because I do understand the game. I do. Um, I don't walk into this wanting any news or any publicity. I could care less if my name is ever mentioned. I could care less. True. All I want to do is work and have fun at something that I truly love, and that's basketball. Coach, I got a quick question for you because, hey, I'm just sitting here. I'm, my notes is all filled up. You dropping gems on top of gems on top of gems. <laughs> my head is blown. My head is smitten right now. <laughs> I just want to ask you just quick, quickly before we go into the, your your actual job role and what you what your 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 main everyday duties are with the Pelicans. Uh-huh. You mentioned when you got the call from uh, about the WNBA, you were at France. Yeah. When did you get the call? What were you doing You know, uh, when you got the call to come join the Pelicans? Take me through that process of, you know, what were you doing and how that ended up coming about? Yeah, I was um, I was with the Liberty, uh, New York Liberty, as, as always. You know, it's like home, place where I played, of course, everyone knows. Uh, so that was like home, and I was doing all of the, player development work for every player. I did I, I did that for like five years uh, for them after leaving Louisiana Tech. Um, I went right back to New York. They called me right back home. And that's the beauty of playing somewhere and they value who you are and said, hey, you better come home. And getting back to New York, I was there doing all of the PD work there. Uh, I was doing some of the uh, scouting as well. I uh, did a lot of things that I've done as a head coach, you know, anywhere else. Uh, and then, of course, Swin Cash was hired here with the Pelicans. And uh, when Swin was playing with the Liberty, I actually trained Swin. I trained Swin in the off season and during season. I trained Swin, and um, she knew that that position was open. And she was like, "There's no better push person for this position than Teresa Weatherspoon." 
And I got a call and came and they sat down, had a conversation with me and got this job. Um, was I afraid? Was I nervous? No. No, it was like any other place for me. It was basketball. I keep telling you, I wasn't nervous. I, it was basketball. I knew I could come in and talk the game. I knew I could say where my fit would be and how I could help. I knew I could do that. And I knew that I could accept any role that they had for me. I know how to embrace things. And I could embrace the role. And then knowing that there's dreams that I desire, I could learn how to work to get it. Coach, I'm, I want to be a player development coach right now. Just listen to you. And I don't know anything about uh, how to set a screen, how to teach how to, approach, how to dribble, fade screen. I don't know any of that. Everest is by far the worst. <laughs> dude, is, dude is horrible. Like, I'm, I just stay in the weight room, Coach. When I get out on the basketball court. Dude is horrible. I'm, I'm not that good. I ain't going to lie. <laughs> but so it all works add. hand in hand. It works hand in hand. Man, listen. <laughs> it's, it's a little different. It is a little different. So when you get that call, you come in as a player development coach in NBA. Obviously, NBA players have extreme, extremely high and big egos. They all want to be the man. They all want to be yeah. front page, front news, get the most contrast, big shoe deal, et cetera, et cetera. You already had your accolades, respect. Did any of the, the guys you know, show you the respect from jump or any of them resistant to your, to your teachings or just kind of walk us through like the early days coming in? No, not at all. This was, this was like a perfect setting for me. Um, uh, I, actually, um, David Griffin had already set the tone by the time I got here. Uh, he had um, spoken about the hall of fame speech to everyone. And by the time I got here, you know, everyone knew about the hall of fame speech and, you know, so of course, like I said to you guys earlier, I'm a little shy. So I was like, okay. And um, a lot of the guys um, knew me. Uh, I'd done a lot of work with a lot of NBA guys. I had an opportunity to train uh, Jalen Brown from the um, Celtics. I had a chance to be around him. And um, I, I, it, it, the guys here would say, it's how you carry yourself. And I said, I don't, I don't, I don't know what you mean. They said, when you walk out here, it's like you just walked into your house. I said, basically, yeah, I did. I always approached it as this is this is my place, but at the same time, my approach is what I'm trying to give them. This is how you approach it. I don't care if you're home or you're away. This is your approach of this is my place. This is where I live, and you have to go by my rules. This is just an approach. It's a mentality. It's a mindset that gets you fired up for what you're about to do. Um, and I said that that was my approach. But they have been tremendously respectful. Uh, no matter what I ask, no matter what I say. It's you got a spoon, you got a spoon. Uh, it, it, it has been tremendously positive. We have a great group of young guys who are like sponges. They take everything that you say. And when you look out on the court, the beautiful thing is you see them implementing it. You see them trying to get it done. And that's the beauty of it for me is whatever you say or you see something or they'll even ask you, hey, spoon, what you see? Hey, spoon, what you see? And that's enough for me right there because there's a respect factor. There's a respect factor right there. And the one thing about me, I didn't walk in like, hey, you better respect me. I walked in to earn my respect. And with them knowing that I respect you, I respect you enough to every day, you know I respect you. You know I want to push you to be the best. But every day, now I'm going to push your buttons to be the best. And I would never, ever do that unless they know that there's a respect factor. The respect factor between the both of us and it has been tremendously awesome uh, to be a part of these young men. We have a great group of guys who... um, are going to do some amazing things. 
amazing things, some names that you're going to hear about uh, for a long time to come. So I know we're going to be rounding up pretty quick. I want to ask someone Mm -hmm. like myself, um, a a younger up and coming coach that that just a a sponge and that's that's looking. Obviously, I know that we didn't invent the wheel and and always just trying to learn. And like I keep saying, nuggets and gems, just trying to get new nuggets uh, from different people. How does someone like me, um, if you had any advice um, in the coaching world, you know, what, what would that be? What would your advice be to me? This is the one thing I would say is, um, and I know you, you, you're around someone who I tremendously adore, uh, Tasha Porter. I adore her, um, always have, uh, like a little sister to me. Um, this is, this is some important things that I think that are so valuable, uh, as you're learning as a coach, as you're, you're, I guess, adding to your package is everything that you get. And I say, they say, get all you can, can all you get. Get all you can and can all you get. And when you do that, your, your learning process, your learning curve is, is, is going to be uh, better than what you thought. Because everything that you're learning, you're canning it. It's like it, it's in the back of a, your memory bank. And you're canning all of those things to be able to go and, and, and set, set another table. And when you're able to set a table for the other group of people, it's amazing what you have. Because then once you speak, they eat it, they digest it, they implement it. And when you can get to that point of setting that table where they eat what you say, they digest it, and then they implement it, those are some positive things that you can take to the table and go get things done. I never, uh, it's never been broken down to me like that. Eat what you say, digest it, implement it. That's, that's. And they're, they're, they're implemented. I'm nuggets. You, nuggets. I, nuggets. I, try, I try, to, try to be about some nuggets of the best way I can, because if you can just throw it in that way, instead of giving you this long drawn out sentence or this whole paragraph, uh, uh, you've got to carry yourself like this. No, if you can always get your point across in matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and break it down one more time. If okay. you can have these three words into the eat, digest and implement, if these three words of your life as a coach are, are, are going to be valuable, clarity, ownership, and accountability. If your message as a coach, it's clear to your players, whether, whether that's your, your offensive system, your defensive system, each role of the players, each role of your staff, each role of, of your, your, your ball kids, your managers. If your message is clear, your message every day has to be clear. You got to stand on it. You can't go back and forth with your message. Your message is clear. This is who you are. You stand on it. Of course, you're going to make your wrinkles and, and, and make it conducive to your, your talent. But if that message is clear, that's clarity. Then there's ownership. They own your message. You'll see them owning your message every day because they trust it. They believe it. Then you can hold them accountable. If it's not in that order, there will never be accountability, clarity, ownership, accountability. Because then you can always go back and say, my message was clear to you. You owned it. Now I'm holding you accountable. I'm holding you accountable. Those three words are so important. If I keep talking, I'll, I'll keep I'll keep rolling on this. <laughs> this, 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 this keep is, talking. We'll keep is, listening. This is so important of being a great coach. So mm-hmm. important of being a great coach. Sometimes you see coaches, um, of course, you make your tweaks, but you see them go away from what they're teaching because, oh, it, it didn't work. Oh, it didn't work. Or they don't look like they're catching on to it. No. If this is what you are about and you know that it works, you're going to make them work at it again. They're going to work at it again, and they're going to work at it again because you know it works. And then they see that this is important to coach. This is important to coach. 
So you got to go get it done. I don't care if scoring off of your inbound plays, your FOBs and your BOBs is scoring off of those instead of just inbounding. If scoring is important, they know, coach put this in because we want to score. They know that this is just that value, just something that small. They know it's just that valuable to coach. When it's valuable to you, it's valuable to them. So they don't see coach bouncing from one thing to the next because they say they can't get it done. Coach said, this is how we're going to do it. This is what we're going to do. Your message is clear. Your message is clear. There's ownership, then there's accountability. So then when you speak, they're going to eat it, digest it, implement it. There we go. So and they will run through a wall for you. I'm not going to ask you on air because I don't know if you want to put your whole contact information. But for, for someone, uh, uh, you interested in being a, a big sister, a big auntie? For for, for for me, <laughs> look can Absolutely. I can I can I call you? Can't look because it was so much knowledge right right there. Um, I, I would just I would I would love to to step away from from obviously from the podcast and just pick your brain a little bit, um, a little it. bit more about different things and different ways that I can be better. Because man, um, that's yeah. no that's no problem, no problem. There's many things that I learned along the way uh, because you know I was learning on my own uh, when I went to Louisiana Tech. Uh, I was always told, no, you got it, you got it. You got it. I always had my offensive system. I always had my defensive system. I knew exactly what I wanted to do, and I knew I would always make things correct for the talent in which I had. I knew I would always do that. But I learned so many valuable things mm-hmm. through just experience alone, because experience is so important, and it's amazing what experience does. But this is not just for me. This is for me to give. And whatever it is that you need of me, I want you to take and be the best of who you want to be at this game. Absolutely. And I'm I'm more than smart enough to know that I don't know enough. So <laughs> I I definitely wanna <laughs> You're already successful. You're already successful by what you just said. Yes, you, you, see, um, I got you know, boy, you working now. You're gonna always <laughs> because, we got you fine. Hey, coach, take a sip of that water real quick. You sweat, you sweating over there now. Like, I can, I can feel it through the phone. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you right now, she, she, you, you will always be successful with that attitude. You will always be successful because you will always study. You will always know there's something else that you need to know. There's more that you need to know. So once your players see that you are that kind of coach, they're going to be that kind of player. It's always a reflection of what they're being taught or who's teaching. You want it, you want it to be. That's the kind of coach you want it to be. Is when you walk out there, everything is a reflection of how you teach, who you are, and how you conduct your program. Coach, I'm sweating over here. All my water's gone. <laughs> All my water gone. Well, I got two more quick points real quick and then we'll let you, you get out of here. Coming from the WNBA and just being in a part of WNBA for so many years, now yeah. you're you're working with the two way players in the G League. You're traveling yeah. to to Erie uh, Erie Bayhawks yeah. is the um Pelicans G League team, back and forth. Uh-huh. Do you ever think that there will be like a G League for the WNBA, like a, a G2 or something like, you know, <laughs> thing? You know what, have, have there been any talks or anything that you've heard or may think that they will uh, formulate one day? No, I, I, we really haven't. But you do see little leagues that I, I see. Um, I see a lot of posting of some leagues. I even went to a couple of the games of um, uh, this league. I, they call it WABA, W-A-B-A. And this is another league that's coming about this coming uh, uh, summer. Uh, I'm not quite, I think it's the WPDL, I think it is, uh, that they're trying to allow other you know, girls to have an opportunity to, to, to play the game that they love and possibly have a chance to play in the WNBA or someone who's gifted enough that's like a needle in the haystack and they're seen and then maybe the WNBA see it and then it becomes a sisterhood to the WNBA of, of pulling players. 
But I've seen I've seen a couple of leagues that's like that. But as far as the WNBA having like that G League or D League affiliate, I I I haven't heard anything of such nature. What do you got going on these days with the whole coronavirus and you know the team shutting <laughs> down and the, everybody's away from the facilities and everything is right now put on pause. What do you how, how how are you involved with the team or your G League guys or like what's the process now every day since everything shut down? Yeah, I was actually I just returned from Erie, Pennsylvania, and it actually speaks for itself. Erie, Pennsylvania, uh, uh, it's really a cold area. But I just got back. I was with our two way guys, uh, and now we're all back here in New Orleans, and we actually at a standstill at this point uh, because of this because of the virus, and we want to be as as uh, as as I guess you what what they call our social distancing. Uh, as best as possible, and take this as serious as possible because it it is it is spreading and spreading fast. And if we can just uh, do our part, do our role of doing the best that we can to stay away as much as possible, and that's what's happening now on our end. We're kind of just uh, staying away from the facility as much as possible. And the guys were getting the individual work, but there was a limited amount of people who could enter into the facility uh, because you know you're taking uh, precautions as best as possible. But as far as uh, what to do is still keeping yourself busy of watching film and seeing what you can break down uh, uh, for players to see, um, studying the game, and then getting your own thing on, getting your workout in so you don't lose your mind sitting in the house or, or find the no ones at this certain area and take yourself a little walk or something. But uh, it's always just, just, just staying relaxed as much as possible, staying prayerful that this thing ends soon. Absolutely. Well, Coach, I, listen, I'm, I'm stoked over here. I'm beyond blessed and humbled that you, um, I had the opportunity to sit here, um, not in your presence, but on the phone with you and, you and just hear all these great things and, and get to talk. Um, as I stated, I'll, I'll ask Everest for your contact and I'll shoot you a message. I'm going to be like a little water bug. You're going to get tired of me. <laughs> no, I, I promise you I want you might get tired of me. <laughs> okay. We'll we, we, we be tired of each other then, <laughs> dropping gems. <laughs> you got it. I, I thank you all so much for, for this. It was really kind of you guys to think of me and, and just allow me to share a little bit. I appreciate you guys, and I wish nothing but the best for you. And I hope and pray that this podcast zooms the way that you, you guys do when you're, you're a part of it. Well, Coach, I, I just want to say thank you for coming on our podcast, and thank you for just continuing to grow the game. Um opening doors for women and children and giving people of all ages, colors, you know, motivation. And I just want to say thank you. And we thank you uh, for all the hard work and, and effort you've done over the years. I didn't mention the three frogs from your Hall of Fame speech. So I'll probably start crying. I know I watched it like three or four times and I oh, shed a tear. Man. I shed a tear. <laughs> uh, so I just, again, I just want to say thank you again for coming thank on. You. Everybody you can go find uh, Coach Spoon on, on IG at tspoon underscore 11. Find her on Twitter at finisher underscore 11. And she is the pride of Pineland, Texas. That's it. Pineland, Texas, home. Teresa Weatherspoon. I appreciate it, Coach. Thank you so much. You're welcome. See you later. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of the No Referees Podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this show. And rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on social media at No Referees Pod. To the next episode, we out.